Hey guys, I'm Court. And I'm Kate. And you're listening to Season 5, Episode 8 of The Castle Chat. Chat. Hey Castle Chat friends, welcome back to another episode of our Disney-themed podcast. Today's episode is titled Digging Deep, Beauty and the Beast, Live Action versus Original. We are taking the 1991 classic animated film and comparing it to its 2017 remastered live action adaptation. So, let's chat about it. Okay, it is World Princess Week, which I think is so relevant for us to jump into Beauty and the Beast. This is one of my childhood favorites. How about you, Court? Absolutely. I loved that Belle was a brunette princess. So growing up, I had to have the yellow dress. I was a brunette and I was ready to roll. I love Belle. She is queen and I'm a big, huge fan of this film. Do you have pictures of you as a kid dressed up as Belle? Absolutely, I do. I'll have to find those and post them on our Instagram because you guys need to see those. That's I was Belle for Halloween when I was in kindergarten. I love that. I have pictures. I'm wearing a wig. It's great. Yes, the wig. We will have to dig in the trenches for our childhood Belle uh, Disney bounds that we didn't know we were bounding as. So, (laughs) I mean, Belle is such an amazing Disney princess. I love that you mentioned it's World Princess Week. I totally forgot about that, but it is. There's so many snacks and treats and different things that you can buy in the parks right now to help celebrate World Princess Week. They've got a lot of videos and stuff on social media as well. So, shout out to all of our Disney princesses, not just Belle. The world is a better place because of Disney princesses. Yes, all of the stories of encouragement and strength, uh, female powerhouses that Disney has given us, we love it. All the queens, yes. Well, today we are so excited to break down uh, this iconic film Back in 1991, this original film came out in its animated form and in 2017 was remastered into a live action adaptation, which stars Emma Watson, it stars Ewan McGregor, it stars Luke Adams, is his last name? Um, sure. (laughs) <laughs> he plays Luke. Guest, Luke. He plays Gaston and some other really well-known um, actors and actresses in this film. And so it's, it's incredible to see them take such a classic film and turn it into live action. Disney has done this with multiple films recently, and it's been so fun to kind of watch um, the way that Disney plays them out with real actors instead of animation. So what we're going to be doing and what you can expect from this episode is we are going to basically explain the general plot line of Beauty and the Beast and then explain the differences between the original and the live action and even share some fun facts about both films with you guys because we love fun facts over here at the Castle Chat and we're all about the fun. Yeah, all about the fun. All about it. So um, Kate, why don't you kick us off though with a little bit of history of the film and then I'll get into the plot. Okay, so obviously all of these classic Disney fairy tales, for the most part, come from some fairy tale from old. So truly, it is a tale as old as time. The story of Beauty and the Beast is adapted from a French fairy tale that was written by Jean-Marie Le Prince de Beaumont. 
Oh my gosh, you're so good at accents. Um, I practice, don't worry. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that is the original fairy tale of beautiful girl falling in love with Beast. However, the story in general that she came up with is based off of a real life person, their life, but it's a romanticized version of their life. So I thought this was super interesting. I figured it was relevant to us really digging super deep into this Beauty and the Beast story. Um, the history comes from a man named Petrus Gonzalez. He was somebody that was born with a hereditary condition that caused him to have excessive hair growth. And so in the 1500s, when he was around, there are all of these stories and things written about quote unquote wild man. So all of these people, it's truly a tragic story where he was viewed as a beast, not a human and was treated differently. Um, I believe it was King Henry. He was the King of France um basically bought him as a pet and he was meant to entertain the king and the queen um, of France eventually decided that she wanted to have this experiment and try to create more entertainment for nobles and royals and said okay let's educate him let's get him a wife let's see if he can make more beastly children is this not crazy? Yeah, it's got a little bit wild. Yeah, so the true Beauty and the Beast was an arranged marriage by the Queen of France with this um, maid of hers or somebody that was in the King and Queen's court. They had an arranged marriage of this woman with this man, Petrus, who they called Wild Man. And they had seven kids together. Four of them had this hereditary condition where they were also very hairy and were basically <laughs> used as entertainment. And they like had this really sad life of just being people who had an unfortunate condition that caused people to look at them and view them as an outcast. Um, but Petrus and his wife were married for 40 years and had seven kids. So maybe that was, you know, I don't know what their life was like in the 1500s, but maybe they did fall in love. And maybe that was where the idea of this story came from. That's quite a wild story right there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so that's where Disney gets this general idea was there is a real life man in the 1500s that had a romanticized version of his relationship written about him by somebody else in France later on. I um, can't quite remember when the other like wrote fairy tale romance story was written, maybe 1800s, 1700s. So several years after he actually lived. Um, and then obviously Disney in the 1900s decides to come out with an animated feature. Yeah, absolutely. And Beauty, Beast, Beauty and the Beast is supposed to take place, they say, sometime, somewhere between the late 1790s and the early 1880s. So quite a time frame there, but it is supposed to be in a time that is way before what we know. So um, that's kind of a little bit of history there. Now, I have an overall plot line for you guys, but it is very bulleted because I can't sit here and go through the entire movie line by line by line. Hopefully you've seen this movie already and you know the storyline, but if you for some reason have not seen it, I'm going to give you a quick bullet point summary of the film. Okay, so general plot, Beauty and the Beast. 
we have a prince that is turned into a beast and he lives in a castle far away from a village. There is a young girl called Belle and she and her father live there. Her dad goes off, gets lost in the wood, gets trapped in the beast castle. Belle goes after her dad and ends up switching places with her father and now she is the one that's kind of trapped in the castle with the beast. Now the whole story of this film is basically Belle and the, and the beast growing closer to each other, learning about each other, and eventually falling in love. Um, the way that the curse is broken is that somebody has to love the beast back. So right before um, she actually proclaims her feelings for the beast, she figures out that her dad's in trouble. The beast lets her go back to the village and there's another character. He's our villain. He's Gaston. He wants to marry Belle, but Belle is like, no, 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 I am not marrying you. You've got such an ego. And he finds out about the beast and wants to get rid of the beast. And so they go back to the castle and there's a fight between Gaston and the beast and obviously the beast gets hurt and Belle sees it and is so emotional and expresses her love for him. The curse is broken and everything is happily ever after after that. To add, there are other characters in the castle who are people that have been turned into items of furniture. They are also experiencing this curse and that curse is lifted over them once Belle falls in love with the beast. So that's your quick synopsis. There's way more to this film that we're about to dig in, but just wanted you guys to know the general plot of this film. How was that? That was wonderful. I feel like I watched <laughs> the whole thing in fast forward. There we go. Exactly. So that is basically our general plot. Now we're going to jump into some of the meanings of this film. So Kate, what is like something that sticks out to you as a, as a big meaning in this film? So I think truly the overarching message, if you had to take one thing away from this film, it's that you can't judge a book by its cover, you nod to bell with the books, um, or you know, appearance, you can't judge someone based off of appearance, something like that, where first impressions aren't all that you should take away from somebody. I think that's true of Beast in this film, but also of Belle. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think a lot of people in the village look at Belle and they think she's they think of her a certain way when they haven't really spent the time to get to know her and know why why she enjoys reading or why she likes to be different than the other villagers so I love that you said that because I think when I watch it I think of it as the beast specifically or the way that the beast treated the enchantress and you know thought she was this quote-unquote old hag and she turned out to be this beautiful woman because he didn't treat her right um but I hadn't ever really thought about it through the eyes of Belle and like the way that people would treat her so that was good yeah well and you just mentioned it but the enchantress too that's how this whole thing gets started is the beast or the prince um turns away this lady because she's an old decrepit little thing at his palace's door <laughs> and he's like "Ooh, gross get away from me you're ridiculous for thinking i'm gonna let you stay in my palace and she's like oh you thought i was an old hag well watch me turn into a crazy magical being and now you're turning into a beast so basically she does to him what he what she just experienced mm -hmm. so yeah. this whole idea of like i said a nod to belt don't judge a book by its cover yeah, definitely. And also just like the general message of kindness, what you see in this story is Belle. She's just been like taken from her home. She's held captive in this castle. And there are multiple times there's a time where she tries to run away and the beast comes after her and saves her. And you see her actually like helping him and being kind to him in the palace and making sure that his wounds are taken care of. And it just shows that like, 
even in tough situations, you can still be kind to other people. And I love that that's a message throughout this whole film. I also love that there is just a message of women empowerment and women being able to be intelligent. Um, the fact that she loves to read and what we'll talk about a little bit later um, in the, the live adaptation, they really took that part of her character and stretched it really far. They made her more of an inventor and teaching other kids how to read and like leading in that way. And so during that time, if we're talking about, you know, the 18th century, it's very frowned upon for women to step out in that way and so to have that message for women I think is great during that time frame yeah absolutely I want to just quickly touch on the same thing as like the first thing that the beast does to the enchantress then becomes his Achilles heel in the same way if he would have just shown the woman who appeared to be an old lady at his door a little bit of kindness his whole curse could have been avoided and so it starts with kindness it starts with judging somebody um, without really knowing anything about them and then yes bell being this headstrong sure of herself female even though everyone around her tells her that she's funny and odd and not like everyone else and she doesn't really care and is proud of who she is and steps into that and is able to bring all of these people who have been under this curse for so long freedom by one being kind and two you know not letting what other people say about her impact her decision making oh yeah wow mic drop that was good thanks thanks (laughs) all right let's let's talk about some of the differences between the original and the new film because there are there are quite a few when i was going back this weekend and re-watching both i don't think i realized how different the two films were and all the things that they added and it's hard for me to say which version i like more because i do just i love the films in general um there are some things that they've added that they added in this new film that i'm like wow i really like that addition and i think it fills in some plot holes i think it makes a lot more sense and so i'm glad that disney took this and really studied it and decided you know what we're going to take some of these character lines further or we're going to try and expand on things to help the the watcher kind of understand understand more of the backstory of some of these characters which I think was really helpful because in the original film there's a lot of things that are glossed over that when you go back and watch it you're like but wait where's this character like how does that make sense I'm not quite sure so I love that they filled that in here's the thing this was my and watching both of these films back this was my realization Court and I are 90s babies and Beauty and the Beast is something that we treasure from our childhood all of these live action remakes that have been coming out in more recent years are geared towards adults who were kids when the originals came out oh for sure definitely they knew that they they had that in mind yeah so i think when i watch the original animated version and then i watch the live action version when i was a kid all the plot holes and the things that you're kind of scratching your head about saying like how does this work or how did we get here because this really doesn't make sense when you watch it back when i was a kid straight over my head didn't matter all i cared about was the vibrant fun characters and the songs and it worked for me then but as an adult the live action my husband and i were talking about this this week as we went back and and watched both of these since the live action has come out i have not gone back to watch the animated classic because i love 
the depth of the story and the changes that they did make in the live action a lot and it makes it more of a touching film as an adult to sit there and watch it yeah absolutely 100 percent agree all right what's first on our list here for differences so i think the first thing to touch on is just character differences there are some new characters some changes in characters let's go over uh, a couple of the things that are new or changed for the live action film that we didn't see in the original Okay, so there is a new character, um, Maestro Cadenza. It is the piano, and the piano is in a relationship with the wardrobe. (laughs) And it's actually, the piano is played by Stanley Tucci, and he is an incredible part of this film. I love that they incorporated another piece of talking furniture, and it really fills kind of the blank, and it helps um, create more character development with the people that are in the castle. I think he's a, he's a good addition to the character lineup. I definitely agree. I think something that this addition does, one, it's a fun touch whenever Belle and Beast have their waltz, have their dance. He's a character that's already there and he's, you know, getting ready to get back into, you know, his piano playing and he's part of the music that plays for them, um, which I just thought was a fun story element. But as far as the people in the castle go, I think it's a added element of yearning for this curse to be broken when you see that there are are couples here whether it's Maestro Cadenza and Madame Garderobe or whatever they call her in their French accent Mm -hmm. Um, they are a couple and they're huge pieces of inanimate you know generally speaking inanimate objects but because there's this curse they they're brought to life but there's huge pieces of furniture that can't reach each other from where they are in the castle and so this whole time they're longing to be back together and there's this moment in the live action where they see each other and she says maestro like she sees him again finally um and it's i think an added element of Um, for the audience to see uh, you know not only does the beast want this curse to be broken but so do all the people impacted by the curse yeah definitely um another character change that i'll that i'll touch on is lefou so disney came out and said that this was the first ever explicitly gay character featured in a disney film there are little nods to it here and there it's i think it's quite comical um the way that they put his lines in there like that and the way that his character is but not only does it touch on that he also is a type of character that kind of leans in a little more and doubts kind of gaston's moves he's like well i don't know if we really should be doing this that seems really intense i'm not quite sure and it and that's a difference between the original because in the original LeFou really takes a backseat and doesn't say much to Gaston. He lets Gaston lead. In this film, you see him kind of question some of Gaston's moves, which is new. So we've got two elements here, him being an openly gay character as well as that questioning aspect that I just mentioned. What do you want to um, add when it comes to that? So I think that this, again, as an adult, really helps push LeFou's motivation forward. I think in the original animated version, LeFou just follows and does out of stupidity, to be honest. And here we can see 
in this new version. Maybe he doesn't agree with Gaston here, and maybe he thinks Gaston's a little bit over the top there, but he's motivated by romance. He's into Gaston. He's (laughs) like, okay, I think you're psycho, but also really hot, so um, I'm just going to keep doing whatever you say because I want to be around you and I think that that makes his character and his obsession with Gaston and him being willing to go to these links like doing some pretty intense bad things to Belle's father um, I think that that makes his character a little bit richer Um, and then something that I wanted to touch on too for a change with Gaston is I think in the original animated version his motivation to marry Belle is kind of the forefront of his character like he's like I just want to marry Belle I'm doing this because I want to marry Belle and all of this you know crazy things that he wants to do to just get the girl that he wants but in this new version his villainous side extends beyond just wanting to get the girl he's also just a bad guy and you can see that in a lot of his decision making oh yeah i mean one of the things that they added is when they he's with maurice who is Belle's dad and he's out in the woods with him and he decides he's just gonna like tie maurice up to a tree and let the wolves have him i'm like that's pretty gory if like and you can see when he ties him up he's like well you know with maurice out the way then i can just marry Belle, and there's no problem and i'm like that's really twisted yeah he's a little bit more um obviously manipulative you can see the reasoning behind some of his decision making in the original version when maurice comes back and says bell's with a beast he's got her you know and they all say oh crazy old maurice they just kick him out but in this version he gaston says I'll help you, Maurice. Let me help you. And he kind of woos him into this, okay, let's go find Belle together so you can, you know, convince her to marry me. Whereas in the first version, there isn't as much of a manipulative, devious, outwardly expressed plan on Gaston's part to get Belle. He's got a little bit more expression in terms of how twisted his thinking is in this one yeah definitely and one thing to add with Gaston that I that I picked up on in the first film is when he goes to Belle's house to literally ask her to marry him he has like people from the village outside the house like a wedding set up and he's like I'm gonna go in but I I don't know here's our wedding but first I gotta go propose to her so when we come out of the house we're gonna just have the wedding it's very bold to say I'm gonna go propose to a woman and then bring her out of the house and immediately get married they took that out in the second film they don't have everybody standing outside i mean he does still be like he's still like i want you to marry me and she's like absolutely not and slams the door in his face but i'm glad they took that out because it was a little like i thought that was very interesting in the animated film they were like pushing that so hard yeah like i said it just seems like gaston's whole motive in the first film is that he's obsessed with Belle and he wants to marry her and in this version he says that Belle's obviously the most beautiful girl in the village and that's why he wants to marry her but also has all of these other darker parts to him that we see with leaving Maurice in the woods or um, wanting to go for a hunt and personally like it made me cringe whenever I watched the live action but in the context of where they are in time I get it where um LeFou is like, think of the widows. And he's like, oh, yes, the widows. Like, thinking of war times. Like, he loved being in the war and taking people's widows. And um, it just, like, 
clearly he's not a good guy. Oh yeah, no. He's got a very big ego and he is not very kind at all. And we definitely see that in this film. Um, another character I would say that gets significant screen time that did not have really any screen time in the original would be the Enchantress. And this part of the film actually I think might be one of my favorite character additions or expansions because going back and watching the original as an adult I had a lot of questions about the Enchantress about her powers and what role she really played in the village or in the storyline and what you can really see with this character is at the very beginning you actually get to see um more of how the um the curse played out how um the prince was living his life in the palace or in the castle and you see the enchantress enter you see the back and forth between them and you see her turn to this beautiful creature and and place the curse on the castle but one thing that she does which is very important is she actually wipes the memories of everybody in the castle and those that know people that live or work in the castle so those that are left in the castle no one actually knows why they're there or who they are and so not only does the curse cover those people it covers everybody in the village and everybody that knows them which fills in a huge plot hole of like well like what about these people's families that like are out and about do they not know that their families are still in the castle like I loved that they built on her storyline with that and adding that part because that part was huge yeah they I did note whenever I was watching the animated version they do say that there was a curse placed on everyone in the village but it doesn't expand on that what it is it doesn't say their memories were wiped or anything like that so I think Disney was trying to get at that the first go um, at this storyline but again like Court said kind of a plot hole there with the way that they described it I did actually really love the stained glass opening to the original Beauty and the Beast and the story of the Enchantress cursing the Beast. I thought it was really beautiful classic fairy tale um, but in terms of the plot hole and giving the Beast a deeper giving the audience a deeper understanding and a deeper character development for the Beast I think this new opening for the live action film certainly does that where the first film didn't. I just thought the art and the animation did kind of touch to like classic fairy tale with that stained glass opening and mm -hmm. so I liked it for that reason but for character development and having um, motivation and understanding of where the prince was before the curse and seeing his lifestyle before the curse and getting little story bits throughout the live action film to give you more of an appreciation for why the beast or the prince got to be such a cold-hearted person yes. makes this story like I said as an adult so much richer yeah I'm gonna I was gonna touch on the beast too but going back to the enchantress real quick you do see the enchantress throughout the film um she is actually one of the villagers I think Agatha I think is her name and um you actually see her rescue Maurice from the tree where um where Gaston has tied him up and she she rescues him from there she feeds him some soup and and takes care of him and allows him to get back to the village but you see lots of people treat Agatha um 
awfully, I would say, but mostly Gaston and calling her a beggar and, you know, and she's not worthy and all of this stuff. But you see her through that. And then you also see her at the very end when, um, when Belle is, you know, with Beast and he's injured and she's telling him that she loves him and you see the Enchantress walk in and kind of reverse the curse. So you physically see her doing that. It's not like the original where the, you know, the magic sparkles and everything just comes up and the Beast transforms. So I love that she definitely has like a physical part in the film that she doesn't have in the original. I love that. I totally agree and when I watched it I had this thought in my mind in terms of wanting to find those deeper meanings she put the curse on the prince in the first place because he wouldn't extend her a kindness and accept her rose give her a place all that good stuff and I thought it was super interesting and again added value in the live action film when Belle finally admits that she loves the beast the last petal on the enchanted rose has already fallen yeah and in the original animated film it's kind of that suspension of disbelief oh she said it just in time as the last petal is hanging on and finally falls and she said it at just the right time so the curse could be broken I think it adds one value to who the enchantress is but to just how important this ending to the story is that the the guidelines with which the enchantress set out in the first place for him to learn how to love before all the petals on the rose are gone yeah all the petals on the rose were gone but she decided to extend him a kindness and everyone else in the castle a kindness by saying you know what technically you're late but I'm going to let you pass on this one. You did actually learn how to love and have someone love you in return and reverses the curse, like you said, even though the last petal's already fallen. Yeah, all I got to say is that scene after the petal falls where you are looking at all of the characters and or all of the pieces of furniture that are characters and they are like solidifying into their actual piece of furniture because the curse is kind of set in at that point it's really heartbreaking to see like them all transform in that way because you're like part of you is like oh no like they're too late and like now like Lumiere is an actual candlestick and Mrs. Potts is an actual just just a teapot and you see her face go away and she just becomes like a normal teapot that's sitting on a tray and I I love that they added this because it adds so much emotion to the film you've gotten to know and love these characters throughout the entire time and then to see this it's like oh my gosh and then I don't know. What do you think? I think it was just, it was a really heartbreaking scene. I totally agree. They don't do this in the original. And I, like, I, I keep saying this, but added value to the ending and the return on breaking the curse when it seems like it's too late. And uh, j- the one moment where um, Mrs. Potts is already gone and Chip comes through and he's trying to get to his mom. He knows something's wrong and he flies off and uh, I think it might be Lumiere and he's like, oh no. Like he thinks Chip is going to shatter and the little coat hanger guy grabs him and puts him beside Mrs. Potts and they're both solidified in inanimate objects. Like you're right. Like it, it was pretty emotional to sit there and be like these characters who we know are actually people trapped inside these figures 
are lost to this curse. And um, I think with these characters, another point of added value in character development and storyline, in the original, we don't really get to see or understand other than the fact that these are people that were around when the beast was cursed um why they're like this and there's a point where mrs Potts says you know we were around and we watched him and we let him get like this we watched him turn cold-hearted and we didn't intervene we didn't step in and so i think for them to have this added storyline of we watched the beast grow up we saw him you know turn cold and we just were bystanders i think that's an added message to the story in general is there are so many people who go through so many things and i know court and i both could say we have friends or people that we love that have hard things happen in their life and maybe start to change in the way that they treat people or the way that they view themselves or anything like that and being bystanders sometimes comes with consequence and it's not enough to just let those people that we love change into a new version of themselves that's maybe not as kind or um, lives with bitterness or hurt or all of that like that was a new message that I took out of the film was to not be a bystander and watching somebody I love struggle yeah I love that you mentioned that because that is so incredibly important it's it's so valuable to to know your people and to know when something is not right with them and to step in and be that friend or be that family member where you can have that conversation with them and just support them and be there for them and be like you know what like do you want to talk about anything like is there anything that's going on that we need to to chat about or discuss and um you're positioned in a place where you can you can be that for other people and i would encourage each and every one of you if you see that with a friend or family member in your life to to step in where you feel like it's necessary and to have those conversations to support and love the people that are around you um i know this is like you know a disney podcast you're talking about beauty and the beast but there's like these films have such deep meaning and, and so many life lessons that we can take away from them and that's why we do this we hope that we can share those with you and you guys can 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 learn with us and because we're all out here just trying to be kind people and how learning how to love people as well as we can so that's just something that I think you know we can do as individuals um speaking on the beast though with what you were saying with him becoming cold-hearted one thing that we get to see in this film is we do get to see more of the beast's background we do learn that his mother died when he was a young age and that can contribute a lot to the way that he is feeling and how he becomes kind of cold-hearted so I love that we get to see more of his backstory and, and learn that, that he's not just this guy that, that, you know, was mean overnight. There's kind of a reason behind that and, and why he is the way that he is. Yeah, definitely. Um, first of all, I love everything you just said a thousand times. Yes. Second of all, to the beast's added character development of getting a glimpse at his childhood and what turned him to be this cold hearted person. One makes him make sense why he's such a cold-hearted person he loses his mother it's terrible it's sad and then his father isn't the most comforting person and so he just becomes mean second of all it gives beast and bell a point of connection 
empathy, sympathy, whatever you want to call it, because Belle lost her mom too. And we don't really get to see any of that storyline in for both of them in the original. And so I think when you're able to connect with somebody over something so heartbreaking and so impactful as losing your mother at a young age, I think that makes Belle falling for the beast in some type of way make 10 times more sense because they start to connect on that sense and realize that they share the same heartbreak and not getting to know their mother very well and um they travel the um new element of this magical book do you want to talk about that yes i can talk about that so there is the magic like little handheld mirror that we see in the original and we see in the live action it's a mirror that when you look into it if you said like show me the beast and it would show you exactly what the beast is doing at that time or show me bell and it will show you exactly what she is doing in that moment they did add kind of a similar magical element and it was a magical book that the beast shows bell and basically when you open the book there's like lots of little gold sparkly things moving around and it's magical but you can kind of touch the book and think about a place that you've always wanted to visit to and you automatically like physically appear in that place and so um when he's with Belle, Belle actually decides that she wants to go to her childhood home or when she was an infant back in Paris. And when they're there, the Beast is like, oh, I love Paris. This is so cool. And not really understanding like, where they are. But you see Belle's emotion kind of change because she can she recognizes where she's at. Her father paints a lot of these little music boxes where he has actually painted kind of the inside of one of these like windmill homes where Belle kind of spent the first couple years of her life and so when she's there she recognizes it she sees certain elements in the home where she's like no this is where I you know this is where I lived and she comes to find out kind of the backstory of her mom and and her death because her dad never really shared that with her Um, they find a mask on the ground that leads to um, them believing that her mother passed away because of the plague and we also see like a little rose pen which is something that Maurice paints on an image of her mother holding Belle so there's just a lot of like backstory there and the book allows her to travel there to learn that about her mom so not only do we get a backstory we get a new magical element yeah and I think all of these things combined continue to make this new live action version again so much deeper in terms of your understanding of where these characters come from how their stories intersect and why they find a way to see each other below the surface level of their their physical appearance and find a way to care for each other in a really deep way so in talking about that i feel like we have to talk about the new songs oh i knew you were going to mention that and i was totally going to let you have your moment i'm going to have i was going to let you have your day in the sun and i was going to let you have your moment over here talking about the new songs so why don't you share the three new songs that we got okay so the songs from beauty and the beast we can t- we'll talk about this in a minute when we talk on fun facts or just facts in general about the original but the songs from beauty and the beast are iconic legitimately iconic from a critical acclaim standpoint from a disney history standpoint all of that i mean to think that you could add 
add something to this soundtrack that would elevate it and live up to the lyrics and music of Howard Ashman and Alan Menken is just mind-boggling to me how they did it and did it successfully. So we have To Be Human Again, which is a storyline basically of all the inanimate objects singing about how they truly wish that they could be human again. It helps us understand what they're processing as they go through this curse. We have Days in the Sun, which is played and it kind of walks you through um, when the beast was younger and what it was like before things turned dark and got bad. And then we have Evermore, which is a amazing ballad sung by the beast when he decides that, you know, I love Belle and her father's in trouble. The best thing that I can do for her is to unfortunately let her go, even if that means I don't get to break the curse and I'm always a beast. And so we get this ballad of the beast singing regarding his heartbreak when Belle leaves to go find her father. And it just gives you, for me, it just gives you so much more empathy and sympathy for him being this, at this point, shell of a man because he's not himself anymore. He's a beast. He's coming to terms with the fact that he's probably always going to be a beast. And it's right before he sees that Gaston and his army of villagers are coming to attack him. And so it adds to his sadness that he's sitting there, he's singing, he wishes that he could, you know, have this moment with Belle and break the curse, but it's not going to happen. And then he sees the villagers coming and he's like, you know what, let them come. I mean, I don't have anything else that I really feel like living for. I'm going to be a beast forever and they want to come and hunt me. Just let them come. And I think it makes Belle's return more impactful. Yeah, definitely. I love that the Beast gets a ballad. I think that is absolutely incredible. These other kind of, um, these other chorus pieces where you get to see a lot of the other characters chime in um, vocally is also an incredible addition as well. So I do really love these three new songs. Um, One thing that I will add before we kind of move on to some fun facts is something that I didn't really pick up on at first, but now I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense, is they actually make Belle more of the inventor in this film than they do Maurice. Maurice is actually more of an artist and a creator of these music boxes than he is an actual inventor. And what you see Belle doing in this film is she's inventing a new way to um, do the laundry in the town, and she's also like, stepping out, like we said, and and helping children read and doing more um, kind of in that element. And so I I love that they stretched kind of her character in that way and allowed her to be more of the inventor and kind of flip those roles a little bit from the original, which is something that I didn't, I guess I just didn't pick up on at first. I don't know why, because it was obvious he wasn't an inventor. I just assumed like that was his character line, but it wasn't. It was actually, they gave that to Belle, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, it definitely gives her more of an outcast 
um, personality in the village because she is doing things that you might expect a man to do at that time. She's being innovative. She's not washing her clothes. She made something that does it for her. And she's kicking back and reading and then she's teaching another little girl how to read. And you see characters come along and say, you know, well, women shouldn't read. You know, what are we going to do if women start reading and coming up with their own ideas? And it's just this very misogynistic, anti-female age that they're living in and her desire to step out of that and be innovative, creative, headstrong, all of those things adds to her storyline and narrative as an independent woman. Yeah, for sure. I don't know if you picked up on this or not, but when um, Belle and Maurice are trapped in the little wagon, it's not Chip that comes to save them and get them out. Belle is the one that's picking the lock and getting herself and Maurice out of that trapped area, which goes to show her like her brains and her inventiveness. In- inventiveness? Not even a word. Um, <laughs> the fact that she is more of an inventor, that she is able to pick a lock and get themselves out of there she doesn't need chip to come and help them get out so i love that part yeah and even after that she's the one who picks the lock and gets them out but maurice stays behind and you see her riding off on the horse by herself and i think in the original one she and maurice go together back to the castle um to figure out you know what are the villagers doing what's going on so you know there's all of all of these added plots and parts to the story that just enhance the character development and the story in general that make me like I said the OG classic animated version of this film is beautiful and iconic but do I go back and watch that over watching the live action at this point actually I don't yeah and as we've been talking through this I'm like I I agree with you at first I was like I don't know which one I'd pick as like as my favorite but knowing now like this the depth of the live action it's definitely something that I am more interested in than the vague storyline I just love like the feeling of putting on the animated film and just thinking of being a kid again and I think that's what I love so much about the animated one the thing the one thing that I will say in my personal opinion the one thing that I think the animated feature has on the live action feature is that it's an animated film about inanimate objects coming to life and so the facial features and all of those things of mrs potts chip lumiere i think that element of them being these fun cartoon characters and mrs potts having these full cheeks and you can tell that she was maybe a a thicker grandma figure with her chin and everything you don't see that in the live action where they truly do look like the items that they're supposed to be whereas in the animated film they have elements of their human physique and characteristics portrayed in their inanimate forms um well not inanimate their their itemized forms and so I feel like the animated characters in um, the original Beauty and the Beast are just a little more fun. I think the, you know, Lumiere, Cogsworth, Mrs. Potts, Chip, all of those characters, I like how they look and how they come across in the animated film mm-hmm. better. Yeah. But the storyline and all of the elements of the live action, I think, make that a richer 
film and story. The other thing personally that I was not happy about when I saw all the things coming out about the live action, I really didn't like the casting of Emma Watson. You didn't? No, I didn't. I know that she didn't want to be typecasted for the rest of her life as Hermione, um, but I just felt like they could have pulled somebody maybe with a more... um, Broadway musical background. I feel like she really pushed herself to sing in this film. And personally, I wasn't in love with her casting at first. Obviously, I've seen the film so many times at this point that I've gotten used to it and come to love the film as is. She's an incredible actress, and I think she did a fine job in the film. But I just personally was not the biggest fan of her as Belle. I feel like Lily James and Cinderella was a little bit more obscure, not too many, like there wasn't too many things. She's been in in plenty of things that are recognizable, um, Downton Abbey and all these other big time shows or films, but I just felt like Emma Watson was, let's put this big name that everybody recognizes in this film so people will see it, not necessarily the best casting for Belle. Who would have you casted for Belle? I hadn't really thought about that, to be honest. And I knew you were going to ask as soon as I started talking about this. Um, Let me think on it. Okay, think on it. We'll come back to it later. Why don't we do some rapid fire fun facts about both films? I know we've got a lot on our list, but we can get through these pretty quickly, I think. All right, let's just go back and forth. You pick, I pick. Okay, all right. So we're going to do some fun facts about the original film. One of the fun facts that I actually was very surprised by and loved a lot was that the smoke that you see during the transformation of the beast at the end of the film is actually not animated. It was actually real smoke that was originally used in the 1985 version of The Black Cauldron. And when I went back and I watched, I rewatched that scene after I saw this fact, you can totally tell it's not animated. You can tell it's like real smoke over an animated film because when the smoke goes away you can see the animation behind it but I never would have caught that I thought that was so interesting so cool I didn't know that that's a really neat little tidbit and crazy how with these older animated films how they could come up with something like that oh yeah absolutely Okay, um, one of my favorite fun facts on our list is that Julie Andrews was actually considered for the role of Mrs. Potts instead of Angela Lansbury in the original, which if you are familiar with Mary Poppins Returns, Julie Andrews, who is the original Mary Poppins, was asked to come back and reprise some form of a role in the newer Mary Poppins. We should do a comparison of the two sometime. Ooh, yes, good one. Um, but she turned down the role because she didn't want to apparently dampen um, Emily Blunt's spotlight and you know her role as Mary Poppins. She didn't want to be the highlight of the film. And so Angela Lansbury took that role instead in the new Mary Poppins. So they've got a little that they, they are similar actresses apparently and are looked at for a lot of the same roles. That's so cool. I think they're both such incredibly talented actresses, so I loved this fact as well. Let's see what else I have. Talking about Angela Lansbury, she actually recorded all of her lines during breaks on set of Murder, She Wrote. So she'd be out there just filming Murder, She Wrote and be like, okay, break, I'm going to go film for Beauty and the Beast and get my lines in. So she was double timing it, trying to get all the information and all the lines in for this film, which I think is incredible. She was hustling. She was out there doing the most. Okay, so 
I think another interesting fact about the animation, the dance between Belle and the prince at the very end of the animated Beauty and the Beast after they have turned everyone back into human broken the curse and um, have their wedding at the end. It is an overlay of the animation from Sleeping Beauty. I think that is absolutely wild. I like need to go back and watch the scene from Beauty, or sorry, the 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 words. I need to go back and watch the scene from Sleeping Beauty to compare the two because I would have had no idea if I hadn't seen that fact. Yeah, so crazy. Okay, what other ones do I have on here? Okay, Belle was actually the first brunette princess. We love a brunette moment. Yes, we do. And I think the only blonde princess since has been Rapunzel. Mm, thinking. Yeah? Yeah. Because er- Ariel was a redhead, then Belle was a brunette, Jasmine had darker black hair, mm-hmm. um, Pocahontas, um, Yeah, I guess you're Tiana, right. Rapunzel, well, uh, Moana, Elsa. Elsa. Yeah. Yeah, okay. But that was 2013. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Wow. All over here are the hair colors. Yeah, we but decided yes. to do a little bit more of a variety after. I know. And, after the 80s. And speaking on Belle, she was actually the only one in the village to be wearing blue, showing that she is different. And when you go back and you watch the scenes in the animated film, she truly is the only one wearing a shade of blue. Everybody else is in like tans and greens and like more earthy tones. And I never noticed that before. Yeah, I mean, you got to stand out some way and wear a different color. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to kind of combine a couple of the facts from the original animated here and talk about the music. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken worked together um, on Beauty and the Beast. They started together on The Little Mermaid. So at some point, we need to do a Disney Legends episode on Howard Ashman. Incredible human he is essentially responsible for the Disney renaissance spanning from the 80s through the early 2000s where Disney just had this boom of successful films and it is because he came in and convinced everyone at Disney that musicals and animated features were made for each other so you see Disney turn into this powerhouse of animated musicals because of Howard Ashman and his vision so he jumps in does Little Mermaid has a lot of success with it and then is on um, to do Beauty and the Beast he also worked a little bit on Aladdin several Disney classics are under his name he's a lyricist he writes the lyrics and Alan Menken wrote the music so dream team I think that um, it is super interesting that um It's a really unfortunate story for Howard Ashman in terms of where his life falls while Beauty and the Beast is under production. So he finds out um, right after wrapping The Little Mermaid, winning awards for his music in The Little Mermaid, he finds out that he is positive for HIV and AIDS. And again, something that we can dive into a little bit more extensively in a Legends episode in the future. I think that'd be a good one to do. Um, But Beauty and the Beast writing this music was essentially his swan song, his last thing um, that he really got to work on. And he passed away before getting to see the final film. And 
couple of things about Howard Ashman in writing for Beauty and the Beast. One, the mob song when Gaston is storming the beast castle, wanting to hunt the beast, essentially. He, at some point, told somebody that this was an allegory, this song was an allegory for how the public viewed people who tested positive for HIV AIDS. And so it's this, you know, I'm coming after you, you're a beast, you're you know, a monster, we've got to come and, you know, take you out, all this stuff where he just felt like the public would definitely ostracize him, come after him, say a lot of negative things about him um, if they knew about this health issue that he was having. And so that added an element of um, depth to that song for me and watching the film back, knowing that it came from a place of something he was experiencing personally in his life, feeling like he was the beast and the monster that everybody would be singing about. But two, this film won so many awards for his work, and it's one of the only animated features to be nominated for Best Picture, period, for the Oscars for the Academy Awards. I I think it might be the only. There might be one other one. Yeah, that I'll was, have to look it up, but I think you're right. Yeah, I think there's two films that have been nominated for Best Picture that are animated films, and Beauty and the Beast is one of them. And he won awards for songs, Out the Wazoo, all types of awards. So Howard Ashman is a huge part of why we have Beauty and the Beast the way that we have it today. That is incredible. And they didn't they dedicate the film to him as well? Yeah, so at the very end of the original Beauty and the Beast, um, you'll see a dedication of the film to Howard Ashman. I think it says something along the lines of, um, thank you for giving a mermaid her voice and a beast his soul or something oh, like that. That's so sweet. Um, so he's. we have so many reasons to be appreciative of the work that Howard Ashman did. Absolutely. And to wrap up the fun facts for the original film, this film was the first animated film to cross the 100 million box office mark, which is absolutely huge for the 1990s. So that's kind of it for the fun facts of the original. Why don't we rapid fire some fun facts for the live action? You got it. You going first? I sure will. There are a lot of numbers here that I am going to break down here. So there were over 8,700 candles that were used on set. That's a lot of freaking candles. Let me tell you. Where's the smoke alarm? Where's the smoke alarm for sure? Uh, 1,500 red roses were purchased for... Um, or they were purchased or they were grown for research purposes or for decoration. They wanted to look and study about how how the rose petals actually would fall. And so they actually just put roses and they researched them and they studied them and they would just watch them die and see how the petals would fall so they could film them correctly. And also they use a lot of those roses for decor. So there's that. And then also Belle's dress. There's a lot of stats numbers with this, but the dress took over 12,000 hours to complete and also had about like, I think it was like 2,100 Savarsky crystals on it. And then it also had like, maybe it was like 30,000 feet of thread and like all this different like special like material. It's like when you think about the dress from the Cinderella live action, such an exquisite piece of work. The bell dress was was this as well. And um, so much work went into creating this piece. So that's kind of some, some numbers about some set pieces and some costuming. 
Okay, well, you know me. If you know anything about my personal life, you'll know why this one's fun for me. So we said Luke Adams earlier. Oops, it's Luke Evans. Um, <laughs> but Luke Evans, who plays Gaston, wore fake teeth for filming. I'm not sure if it was to make his smile like more perfect. So I know why they did it. Apparently, Luke Evans has these really, really long canines, and they didn't uh, want him to look too much like a vampire, so they gave him fake teeth to make him look more like, I'm the perfect guest on, I'm so hot, look at me, my teeth are so straight. Okay, I get it. Yeah, they put some grills on him and made it seem like he had perfect ideal teeth. So um, if you want me to do that for you, come to where Court and I live and I'd be happy to do so. Um, but You too can be like Luke Evans <laughs> in a good way, just the smile, not his attitude or his personality, just yeah. a smile. Well, hopefully Luke Evans in real life is not like Gaston. But, yeah, let's hope, let's hope so. Um, and then also um, Dan Stevens, who played the Beast, he also had a teeth piece that he had to get used to talking and singing with because he wore it while he was so it's almost like cgi he did all the live acting for the beast but then they animated computer animated over his body his beastly form and he wore a set of like fang teeth for when he was talking so he could get the right um, posture and movement of his mouth while he was talking with what would be like abnormally large teeth and he in an interview said it like took a really long time for him to get comfortable with how he sounded and how he was saying or singing certain things so like if you can imagine he sings evermore with like thanks that's crazy so it was something he had to practice and they made a mouthpiece for i mean also poor dan stevens he had to go through so much with this film he had to wear 10 inch stilts on the movie to make him actually appear to be six foot ten can you imagine having to like not only have fangs in your mouth but then be on stilts and have to walk around and worry about your mouth and like what you're wearing it's like so much pressure i feel like you can find videos of him and what he was wearing as he was acting as the beast but not animated over it is hilarious oh yeah we have to find that and put it on our instagram for sure definitely all right what else we got okay so i didn't know this thought it was really interesting but during the waltz between dan stevens and emma watson or the beast and bell you can find wd on the coat arms of the design on the floor which was a nod to walt disney yeah i isn't that crazy yeah so cool I loved that. Um, Also, Ryan Gosling was offered the role of the Beast, but actually turned it down to star in La La Land instead. And what I also saw is that Emma Watson was asked to be in La La Land, but she turned La La Land down to be in Beauty and the Beast. So, like, complete crossover there. Yeah, super interesting. I... For me, kind of going back to Emma Watson, like Dan Stevens is the perfect cast for the Beast, in my opinion. He's not... A Ryan Gosling where you're like oh the notebook oh all these films that he's in where you can think back to other characters that he's been for me as a huge Downton Abbey fan so I did know him from that but I felt like and maybe it's because he's animated over and so it's not really him that you see for the majority of the time um, but he has a huge musical background I thought he sang beautifully for this film and I just love him in this role 
Yeah, it's so good. Um, the film is also 45 minutes longer than the original. So when we were talking about these extra like plot lines and character development, they had to obviously add more minutes in the actual film. So we get 45 extra minutes of content in this live action. It's about two hours and 20 minutes, I believe, um, total with credits and everything. So definitely get a longer film because of that. Yeah, and the last thing we have on our list is that apparently Emma Watson found the Be Our Guest um, scene to film quite boring because it's all animated around her. And so in order to get her to have natural, real responses to what seemingly was happening around her, even though she's acting and she basically has a blank slate in front of her, the people behind the camera were having to like crack jokes. I'm like picturing them saying like dad jokes or something yeah, to, to get, get her, her to genuine laughter. Cause she's just sitting in a chair looking at a table because like she doesn't really have a role in that scene, but I can imagine her sitting there for hours and being like, okay what do i do now so yeah they had to crack jokes to get her to laugh which i thought was kind of funny yeah so that is a quick somewhat lengthy but quick rundown of some extra little tidbits of the making of both versions of beauty and the beast court do you do you prefer the live action or are you 50 50 split I think I prefer the live action at the end of this episode, like talking about it and the value that it brings. I'm definitely team live action now that I say it. We want to know what you guys are, though. Are you team live action or are you team original? We'll have to um, put a poll in our stories so you guys can, can vote on that. We hope that you found this episode entertaining. We hope you found it. Um, what's the word? Enticing, intriguing, intriguing, informative, informative. That's the word I was trying to find. Informative. We hope this episode was informative to you and that you can go and watch these films and appreciate the original and the additions that were in the live action. So we're going to kick things over to Kelly for today's trip tip, and we'll see you guys at the end of the episode. Hey all, this is Kelly from Kelly's Magical Vacations, the official travel partner of the Castle Chat, and I am so excited to bring you today's trip tip. If you're trying to get any table service reservations that might be more difficult, be sure to get on right at your 60-day mark. Remember, if you're staying on property at a Walt Disney World Resort hotel, you're able to book for your entire length of stay starting at your 60-day mark from your check-in date. So that's going to give you a little bit of a leg up, especially on those later dates in your vacation. I will say sometimes it can still be difficult to get reservations, but if you work through a travel agent like myself, a lot of times we have alert systems that we're able to set up for you. So if something becomes available, we can go ahead and grab that reservation for you so you're able to experience that table service reservation that you'd like. Be sure to head over to Kelly's Magical Vacations on Instagram for all your Disney chips and tricks. And if you are looking to plan a Disney vacation, you can head to the Castle Chats Instagram Click that link in their bio and there will be a form that you can fill out so that we can start planning and I can help you with everything from your accommodations to your tickets to your dining and everything in between. Small shop shout out. Shouting out another shop today. Yeah. Oh, I like that you joined in on this I one. Had to, I had to, you know, add a little bit at the end. Uh, it definitely added an element of you spice. Know, added value, just like the live action. Sprinkle in the spice. Sprinkle in the magic. Pixie dust. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, wow. That makes sense. That was my try, me trying to do a jingle oh. as well. So I'm just going to move on from that because it's, you know, whatever. Okay. Anyway. 
Anyway, small shop shout out. We are so excited to be back with another small shop. It's so great that we get to highlight all of these incredible Disney focused small shops that work tirelessly and and so hard to produce such incredible Disney products and today we are shouting out one of our favorite shops at Happily Ever Tees. We both own shirts from Happily Ever Tees. They're very fun, they're very just bright and colorful and every time I put on my Happily Ever Tees shirt, I automatically just feel the magic wash over me. I feel bright and vibrant and ready to take on the day. So, I love them. I share the same sentiment. Happily Ever Tees might be one of the first small shops that I ever purchased from. There's like a group of small shops where I discovered that this was a thing and purchased one item from multiple shops at one time because I got overwhelmed and excited and spent all of my money at one time. Um, But Happily Ever Tees was one of those shops. I actually have a fun little story about something that happened that Happily Ever Tease gave a little bit of magic to. So Christmas 2017, I just found out that I had gotten into dental school. I was so excited, was finally achieving this thing that I've been working so hard for for so long. And the year before, we surprised my siblings with a trip to Disney. They didn't know we were going. We told them on Christmas morning. It kind of became this tradition for my family to leave Christmas day and drive to Orlando and do Disney the week after Christmas. And so we'd been doing that. We did it spontaneously one year and then we did it for my siblings as a surprise the following year because it was like we randomly made the decision one year the next year they didn't know they were like oh yeah forget that that'll never happen again well surprise no it is happening again and so it had been two years in a row and I then was in that state of mind of like well we went to Disney the last two years for Christmas like we're probably just having a chill Christmas at home and I got surprised on Christmas that we were going to Disney to celebrate me finally getting into dental school and the way I found out was I opened a happily ever tease t-shirt that said best day ever and I was like oh cute and my husband who bought the shirt for me was like where where do you think you would wear that and I was like well duh Disney he was like cool put it on and I was like what do you mean he was like get in the car we're going right now the car was loaded everything was like ready and I just I rarely am surprised I'm that person that is always doing the planning for other people and so I got surprised this time and it is a memory that I will cherish forever so happily ever tease was a big part of that little element of fun and magic in my life and I took a picture in that shirt when I got to the Magic Kingdom and it was on her homepage of her website for a little while because you could tell how genuinely happy I was that it was the best day ever. I love that. I'm so glad you shared that story. Happily Ever Tease, if you're listening, just know you've provided so much magic to us girls here over at the Castle Chat. If you are not following them on Instagram, go ahead and head over there. Give them a follow at Happily Ever Tease. Okay, next week, season finale, it's time for Disney Breakdown. Okay, I'm excited for Disney Breakdown, but 
I think it's important for you all to know that because next week is our season finale, that means the week after is Courtney's Bachelorette. Oh yeah, we are preparing for the ultimate Disney Bachelorette that Caitlin has, oh my gosh, planned to a T. There's so many surprises I don't even know about yet, but you guys will hear all about it. You'll hear about all the Disney news next week on our Disney breakdown, but then we are heading to Walt Disney World together for the first time. Um, so I, I'm excited for Disney breakdown and I'm excited for our season five finale, but the fact that we get the cherry on top of going to Disney together for the first time at the end of the season, not only is it the end of season five, it will be our one year mark recording together. One year of the castle chat. Guys, that's so exciting. Like I could actually cry thinking about all of the things that have happened this year and we get to wrap it up and put the perfect little bow on season five by going to Disney together. I so know. I'm Ugh. really ready for Disney breakdown because I want it to come. I want it to post. And then I want to be in Disney with you. Oh, absolutely. Guys, we will probably spend a lot of time on the next episode talking and reminiscing on the past year as well. So you don't want to miss next week. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for the next episode of the Castle Chat, definitely check us out on Instagram. Uh, give us a follow at the Castle Chat. You can also send us Magic Man or an email via um, thecastlechat at gmail.com. We love getting to like read little emails from you guys. Um, we also would really appreciate if you would give us five-star reviews on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Let other people know why you love listening to The Castle Chat. It would make our day if you could do that for us. Um, but in the meantime, we will leave you with what we always leave you with, which is there's a great big beautiful tomorrow out there waiting for you go make it magical see you real soon bye bye